the book of John, chapter 14. We'll begin to read in verse 1. This morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, an encouraging word, an encouraging word. John, chapter 14, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can, that are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. When John, chapter 14, begin to read in verse 1, the Bible says these words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge hearts and lives today. God, I pray for those who have never said yes to Jesus. They've never responded to the love of God that invites them and calls them to turn from sin and to be saved from sin's penalty and possession over their life. We pray they'll make that choice today, God, during a time of invitation. God, we pray for our church family today that you'll grow us in these truths, you'll encourage us in these truths, and what are difficult days uh, to be an on-mission Christian. I pray these truths will help us along the way until, God, we stand uh, present uh, in your presence, in your presence as you, either by grave or error, call us to your side. Bless this time again. Your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, Jesus is just in the end of chapter 13 we saw last week, revealed Judas um, to be his uh, betrayer. Um, we're not going to look at verses 31 through 35 on a Sunday morning. We have uh, on Sunday night, we've been going through a series of uh, studies building a tool to help uh, disciple other people. We've been looking at the commandments of Christ, and so we'll look at these verses when we come to the command uh, to love. We do see in verses 36 through 38, uh, just after Jesus is revealed, um, that Peter, uh, that Judas is going to be the great betrayer, and we see him command uh, the disciples to, to love one another. Peter begins to get a little bold in the flesh, and he begins to tell Jesus, you know, wherever you're going, I'm going with you. And Jesus tells him, where I'm going now, you can't follow me, but you, you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. Friend, I want to remind you, it's one thing to confess Jesus with your mouth. It's another thing to live out that commitment because Jesus begins to reveal to him, you know, will you lay down? Your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. And so Peter stepped away from discipleship. Remember the message that the angel gave the ladies at the tomb in Mark chapter 16 was go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter had ceased being a follower of Jesus Christ, so much so that once he heard that Jesus was dead, he said, I go fishing. Um, you know, when I was a boy, that was one of my favorite verses. I thought, man, me too. Um, but... It's one, really one of the saddest verses in Scripture. Because you remember that the first command uh, that Jesus gave was in Mark chapter 1. He looked at those disciples. He said, repent and believe. 
And then he called to them in verse number uh, 17 of Mark chapter 1 and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And, and in those uh, supporting texts, the Bible says they forsook all and followed Jesus Christ. They, they left the family business and began to follow Jesus. Well, now Jesus is dead and Peter returns to the family business. So there were some challenging days ahead because the cross was before them. And it was before Jesus Christ. And so the disciples were about to experience a time of great testing and confusion. Things didn't make sense. They didn't really understand all the things that Jesus was trying to tell them. And as he always does, Jesus begins to give instruction that his disciples needed uh, so that they could be fully equipped to face adversity and testing. These six verses are a help to every on-mission Christian that faces challenges and adversity and confusion in the day in which we're living. 2,000 years later, they still speak to us. I want you to notice three truths from these six verses today. First off, I want you to notice a forlorn prevention. A forlorn prevention. Look what the Bible says in verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not. Literally saying that you know, we don't use those words in that um, in that order, but literally what Jesus is saying is, is do not let. Don't let your heart be troubled. The, and that's the heart being the seat, the seat of your emotions. Don't, don't let the seat of your emotions become forlorn, to become uh, empty, to, to feel uh, despondent, to feel uh, absolute uh, helplessness and hopelessness. Don't, don't let your heart come that. No matter the situation, no matter what's before you, no matter what state you find yourself in, the, 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 your feelings won't change the situation, but you don't have to let your heart, the center of your emotions, come to a place of just utter uh, despair and, and brokenness that there seems that there's no hope. And look what he continues, he follows that up with, says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, will believe also in me. And, and that belief, friend, is, is more than just intellect. You know, well, we, we believe in God. Well, every rightly related Jew did. They, they confessed him. There's, there's no other God but Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They believed that. They had more than just an intellectual belief in that. They believed it in their heart. They trusted the Old Testament scriptures that God existed and what God had done for his people. But what Jesus is saying is not just to believe, but, but to trust. You trust in God will also trust in me. You need to understand that that's what every Jew who was saved did. They confessed Jesus Christ to be Jehovah. And that was a big thing for a Jew to do that, to be able to, to, to speak of another person and say, this is God in human flesh. When, when a Roman became saved, they were saying there's someone else besides Caesar that's God. And that could be their neck. Uh, so it, so it, was a, it was a big thing for a Jew to do that. It was a big thing for someone who was in Rome. Not a big thing for us. You know, everybody in the South's born saved. You know, the, the majority of people who were here, they were brought, drugged to church, and they just had this intellectual belief that God is. And Jesus is talking about more than just a belief that he existed, and that he was a historical figure. He says, I'm calling you on you to place your heart trust in me. The same trust that you have for God is the same trust that you should have for me. 
The psalmist in the Old Testament in different places expressed it this way. Psalm chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible says, O oh, oh Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Rather than being overwhelmed and just to see that there's no hope whatsoever, the psalmist says, I'll, Oh God, I'll put my trust in you. Psalm chapter 9 and verse number 10, the psalmist writes, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God, you will, you will be there. We can, we can trust in you. Uh, Psalm chapter 17 and verse number 7. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those, listen, who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And we'll trust in the Lord. Uh, Psalm chapter 25 and verse number 2. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now, he's speaking of God Jehovah, God the Father. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. Jesus was speaking to His disciples, and He was saying this. Now, now get the picture. He's about to die. He's about to be in the grave for three days. And the devil is going to be against them, speaking every lie possible. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, have that same trust. Because there's going to be a time when you don't see me. And you're going to wonder if all the things that I've told you and all the things that I've commanded you are true. He says, don't let the seed of your emotions become so troubled that you become overwhelmed. You continue to trust in me. They were about to face some hard days in which they would need divine direction. And friend, it's been said many times, on every pew, there sits a broken heart. There may be someone here this morning, you're facing what seems just uh, un unsurmountable obstacles in front of you, uh, it just seems there's a mountain, there's no way that you can climb on your own. And God may not even want you to climb it, friend. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life, but friend, on the authority of God's Word, God says to you this today, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let the situation so overwhelm you that you fail to continue to trust in God. You have a God who loves you. He demonstrated it, and while you were yet a sinner, He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. He has promised He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's promised that He'll meet all our needs according to His riches in glory. And so I know in the world in which we're living, things seem like they're absolutely chaotic. There's challenges in the local church because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says in the last days, many will depart from sound doctrine. And church isn't what it used to be for those of us that love the Lord and love his word. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so we have a forlorn prevention. We have a prevention, a preventative measure that will keep us from getting brought to a place, friend, emotionally that the wheels just come off of our wagon. It doesn't mean the road's not going to be bumpy. 
It doesn't mean there won't be potholes, challenges, and adversity, and hills to climb. But what we have is a promise from a Savior who will never leave us, and he'll never forsake us. Number two, notice this morning, a future place. He shares a, a forlorn protection to help protect their heart, but he also begins to share about a future place. Um, this world isn't our final place. Now, there has to be balance. Uh, there was an evangelist years ago that used to say, some Christians are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And that can be true, friend. Listen, we need to have our hearts set on heaven. We need to have our minds set on the place where we're, we're going to live. But at the same time, friend, we've got ministry to do here and now. You can't just sit on the rooftop and look toward the east and wait for Jesus to come. There's work to be done. And so we're ever looking for the end of day, but there's still fruit in the field that is white unto harvest. So there's work to be done. But Jesus begins to share with him about a future place where all of God's people will be for all eternity. You know, the Old Testament didn't have a lot to say um, about heaven. And so when Jesus began to share these things, it was, it was new information about the future home of all disciples. All people who choose to turn from sin and self and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Look what Jesus has to say. The Bible says first in verse number two that in my Father's house are many mansions. Literally, friend, in the text, it's saying that in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Now, I'm not, somebody will be mad and say I'm not heading down some uh, uh, eschatological road this morning about in times to say that everybody's not going to have an individual mansion. Maybe we will. Can I just say this, friend? If Jesus is making us a place to reside, you're going to like it. That's hard to believe in the local church that you are going to like it. But in heaven, you're going to like it. Whatever Jesus makes, it's going to be great. So whether it's an individual mansion or it's a bunch of rooms inside God's house. Friend, we're in heaven. Who cares? We're there. Uh, so he begins to share this, this detail. In, first, he says, in my father's house. He doesn't say just in my house, in my father's house. And you get this, this homey feel when you hear Jesus begin to talk about this. You know, when, when I was a boy, I would, had different friends that would come by the house from time to time. And, and I, never, I never said, you know, uh, you know, well, in my daddy's house, you know, we do this. Or in my dad's house, I said, in my house. You know, my dad owned it, but I lived there, and so it was my house. But Jesus is just letting us know, friend, God the Father's going to be there too. And we're all going to be in his house, one big, happy, and can I just say again, because I mentioned earlier, non-complaining family, and everything's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. All those who have ever repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, all those Hebrews 11 saints who by faith trusted and believed God, and he counted it to them as righteousness. We're all going to be together with the Lord in my Father's house. So as he begins to, it just feels like home. You know, I don't know if it's going to smell like apple pie and biscuits all the time. I don't, but friend, it's going to be home. It's, and it's, it's going to be great. And so Jesus begins to share. I, I know sometimes you feel like you're not at home. I've talked to so many like-minded Christians who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
They love his word. They want to live for him. And the more people I talk to say, boy, I just don't feel at home in this world anymore. It is so wicked. It is so upside down. People are so mean and hateful. People who claim to name Jesus as Lord of their life seem that they have absolutely lost their ever-loving mind. And it just doesn't feel like home anymore. Can I, can I, am I the only one that feels that way here this morning? It just doesn't feel at home. Friend, listen, when you begin to read these verses, it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I begin to think, well, what floor is mine going to be on? It feels like home. It's a place that we want to go to be because there's no more sin, there's no more temptation, there's no more spiritual warfare, there's no more foolishness that we deal with in ministry. We're going to be with the Lord forever and with Him will ever be. It's just, just to be at home. But he says there's many dwelling places. There's going to be a place for you if you've trusted Christ. Now look what he continues to say. If it were not so, um, I would have told you. Jesus says if that's not the way that it was, I would tell you. You know, there's, there's one group that's going around knocking on doors trying to deceive people. Well, first, you know, there are only 144,000 that were going to get to go. And that they've, they've filled that up now, and they had to come up with a plan B. Friend, I just want you to know, for all those who turn from sin and trust Christ, Jesus is going to have a place for you to live there. There's going to be a place there. He's, he himself is preparing. He says, if, if that's not the way it was, he said, I would have told you. Look what the Bible continues to say. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I, I'm, I'm making, that means Jesus is there right now, friend. He's putting the finishing touches on your place. Um, just fix, some of you like to watch these little shows where, you know, they'll, somebody will choose between three houses and they, you know, begin to knock the walls out and then they'll find a World War II bomb under the floor and you know, they're, oh, we didn't see this coming. And I was, listen, that's, those shows are as fake as professional wrestling. You just need to know that. All those people know what's going on. But they're just wondering, you know, when are we going to make the deadline? Are we going to make the deadline? Just a wonder. And they always make the... But at the very end, you know, the little designer lady, she'll be in there and she'll be putting all that stuff that she's going to put back in her trunk and take home. Those people don't get to keep that stuff. So she's organizing and making everything look just so nice and sweet and so homey because the kitchen's the heart of the home. And she's, just, she's fixing all these little doodads and things. And then they come in. She, friend, listen. I'm telling you, Jesus is getting everything just ready for you, and he's not going to put it back in his trunk. You get to keep it for all eternity. He's fixing a place just for you where you can go and rest from all your labors here on earth. The sickness and hardship that many of you had to deal with physically, you won't have to deal with anymore. Relationship issues, challenges that you didn't ask for. It was brought to your doorstep. And you've done the best with those that you could in Jesus' name. You won't have to deal with those anymore. Lost bosses who have given you such a hard time because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll never have to put up with it again. 
Leaders in our government that wouldn't know God if they met him in the road. And friend, I'm talking about both sides that can't even find common ground for the good of our country. We'll never have to deal with it ever again. We'll be in a place absolutely free from sin. And Jesus is the one that's going to build it for us and make it. There are a place for each one. And then in verse number 3, he says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, which he has, he said, Then I'm, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, I'm going to come back and receive you formally. He says, We're, we're going to make a grand occasion out of the situation, that, that where I am, you're going to get to be. We, we know this message as, as, as the rapture. And a lot of people who don't like to talk about this say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Or the word Bible is not in the Bible, but you've got one laying in your lap this morning. It's just the word we gave to describe the book that God gave us. It comes from the Greek word rapturo. It means to snatch away. And that's what's going to happen one of these days. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. The church at Thessalonica, they were confused about what had happened to their loved ones who had died in Jesus Christ. Where were they? False teachers had come and began to sow some false doctrine into their life, and they didn't know exactly what was happening. And so because of that, they became discouraged. They wanted to know what had happened to the souls of their loved ones who had died in Jesus Christ. Well, Paul didn't want them to be ignorant. And friend, that's the goal of every pastor, for his local church to not be ignorant of spiritual truths. That's the first single priority of every New Testament pastor. Not to be a chaplain, but to preach the Word of God that the church might grow in the knowledge of Scripture, that they won't be ignorant. Friend, listen, it's not a sin to be ignorant. It's a sin to stay ignorant. You don't have to be ignorant of biblical truths. And Paul didn't want the Thessalonican church to be. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that is, who have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep, that is, who have died, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. What was Paul teaching? He was saying that every time a believer dies in Jesus Christ, their body is placed in the ground or it's cremated. If there was an accident, their body was destroyed somehow. But their soul leaves that body and it goes to be with Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, in verse number 8, when, when someone dies in Christ, their soul is absent from their body, but immediately it's present with the Lord. It's, it's in His presence. But one day, the Bible teaches, when God tells the Son, it's time to get your bride, Jesus is coming back, friend. He's going to turn the stars into a staircase. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we're our, our, our dead bodies, those of us who are, who are going to be dead and in the ground, we're going to be changed. Those bodies are going to be resurrected from the ground. We're going to have a brand new resurrection body just like Jesus Christ. Our soul that's been in heaven, it's going to be reunited with that body 
every believer that's still on earth when that happens at the rapture, the Bible says we're going to be changed in a moment. We're going to be called up in the clouds with the Lord. We're going home with Him. And the Bible says with the Lord, we're always going to be. Have you ever just gone on a vacation you wished would never end? I mean, it was, just, it was just so great. It was so wonderful. You were so relaxed. The, the place was just so different than where you lived, and you're grateful for where you lived. But you, you and your family were just having the absolute best time, and you wished, you say, I wish I could stay on this vacation absolutely forever. Friend, listen, one day we get to go to heaven, and we don't ever have to come back here the way it is. We're coming back at the thousand-year reign, but listen, we're going to be in glorified bodies. Christ is going to sit on the throne, and the foolishness that's in this world won't be because the Bible says Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron, and every time some liberal opens their smart mouth, God's going to whack them with a rod of iron, and he's going to set it straight. It's going to be great. Jesus will be Lord of all. Say amen. And everybody's going to confess him. Listen to me, friend. It's not if you confess Jesus is Lord. You hear me this morning. You're here today and you've never been saved. It's not a matter of if you trust Jesus to be Lord or if you confess him Lord. It's a matter of when you confess him. Because the Bible says one day, the book of Philippians says, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you may be on a sheet of fire in a place called hell because you wasted away the day of grace to trust Jesus. And you'll be in an eternal place. It won't be in heaven. It'll be in a place called hell because you would not repent and trust Christ to be Lord of your life now. Now. The Bible teaches that there's, there's a future place and it's going to be wonderful. Can I just say before I move... There's a, there's a lot of charlatans today that are writing books about their little trip to heaven. I just want to remind you, friend, that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, Paul says he actually went to heaven but wouldn't even name himself. And verse number 4, he says, It's not even lawful for me to speak of the things that I've seen. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, just right after Revelation 21, where John was revealed these things that are going to be in the new Jerusalem. The Bible says in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, to don't add to the testimony of Scripture. So anybody that says that they've died and gone to heaven and come back, friend, the Bible says that they're a liar. Now I realize that and they say, well, I, I read this book and it just blessed my heart. I encourage you to read this book and let it bless your heart. Because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, don't add to the book. Don't take away from the book. And anything that anybody says they've seen in heaven that nobody else has seen is new revelation. And the canon of Scripture is closed. Friend, listen, if somebody can write a book and say that they've been to heaven and seen something, then why can't somebody else come out and say, well, I've found the 67th book of Scripture. It's been right up here in my head the whole time. And I've written it. Well, then somebody else can stand and say, well, I've got a new book. It's number 68. God gave it to me. The canon of Scripture is closed. To say that there needs to be new revelation is to say that God didn't give us everything that we needed for faith and practice. Does that make sense this morning? My kids at times would head off to school and say, Whoa, hold on, I forgot to give you this. 
Whoa, hold on. You, now, don't forget this. You, friend, listen, God's never forgotten anything. And he gave us everything we needed from Genesis to Revelation to be able to serve him till we step into his presence. So don't you buy into all these people that say, now, I've gone here and I've... Mm-mm. They may have had a dream. They may have seen the light. I don't know what they saw, but I'm just telling you this, friend. They didn't get anything from God. Always gets quiet on that. I don't know why. But it's the truth. You look it up, Revelation 22, 18 through 19. There's a future place, but third, I want you to notice, there's a fixed path. There's one way to heaven, friend, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's a narrow view. It's a narrow view. We're, we're living in such a pluralistic society today where so many people say, well, you just you pick and choose your path. Uh, one well-known religious figure on the West Coast, began to try to blend Islam with Christianity and say, well, you know, really, we do all serve the same gods. I had a fellow tell me one time at a church one time that I pastored. So I think, you know, I believe, I believe God's got something for the, the Muslim people. I said, you're right. It's Jesus Christ. That's what he has for all people. Every other religion that is contrary to the Word of God, friend, is not of God. And, and, and it comes from the mouth of, of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a narrow view. Look what the Bible says in, in verse number 4. He, Jesus begins to speak and say, And where I go you know, and the way you know. Well, they did know, but they didn't know. They had received the truth, but they didn't fully understand it. Um, just a few chapters back in John chapter 6, remember after Jesus had fed the, the crowd of 5,000, he began to lay out what the life of a real disciple looked like. And so everybody that bought their T-shirt at the gift shop that said disciple on it, they just had such a, such a warm, loving feeling when they would begin to pass out the food. And then they would all begin to look to see, you know, where's, who's, who's going to get their eyesight today? Who, where, where's, where's the person that's crippled at that's going to be able to walk? I mean, they, they were looking for the miracle. Well, then Jesus began to lay out what the life of a real disciple was going to look like. He says, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Not, not physically. He says, but you're going to internalize me. If I'm really going to be Lord, you're not going to exist anymore. And I'm going to be your existence. And he began to tell them, and they began to argue, saying, well, you know, God, God took care of us years ago in, in the wilderness. He, set, he sent down manna. And Jesus began to tell them, I was that manna. That was a shadow of who I am and what I'm going to do spiritually. Listen to what Jesus begins to say in John chapter 6 and verse 55. He says, for my flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Not, not, not physically. There's, there, there are those that believe in transubstantiation. That is, that somehow a priest has the, the spiritual ability to turn the Lord's Supper into the real body and the real blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, you don't get saved that way. The Bible says you get saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through religious action or through religious works. It's, a, it's an operation of the heart. Jesus says, who, he who receives me to be Lord of their life. But listen to what he said in verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate men and are dead. 
He who eats this bread will live forever. Now listen, verse 60 says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about him, listen, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, because he came down, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that speak to you are spirit, and they are alive. Jesus had told them, I came from heaven, and I'm going back. He says in verse number 4, and, and where I go, you, you know. He says, and the way you know. He says, I've, I've told you these things, but they still couldn't see it clearly. And so Thomas, being Thomas, and, and, and praise him for this, you know, what, what a good job he did. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What if he had just sat there and faked it like the other ten? Judas, is, he's pulled camp. He's gone. What if he just sat there and faked it? They'd be like, you know, yeah, we get it. We, we mm-hmm, got it. And then when they got home, they said, I just don't understand him sometimes, what he's trying to say. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, Thomas was honest enough to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. Can I give you encouragement this morning? When you come to a difficult passage of Scripture, pray about it. Listen to me. There's not one single verse of Scripture that God doesn't want you to fully understand and appropriately apply to your life and so into the life of someone else. So when you come to something you don't understand, talk to God about it. Be honest. He already knows you don't understand it. You can't hide anything from him. So pray. Take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I just, I don't understand this. And he'll begin to work in your heart and life so that you can. So Thomas, he was, he was, he was honest about the situation with a truthful reply uh, and, and, and opportunity. His response gave for Jesus to be able to say, friend, one of the clearest and most concise statements that's ever been given about salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's straight from Jesus' mouth. Look what the Bible says in, in verse number 6. So Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. He first off said, I am. And that resonated. There were many I am statements throughout the book of John. But Jesus began to say again, I am the way. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of its ways are death. Friend, every good idea that man ever had always ended in one single place, and that's in death, doom, and destruction. But everything in God leads to life, and life more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the way. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 19 through 20. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Only the high priest could go in once a year behind the holy of holies and had to have the blood to stand in between. But when Jesus said it's finished on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And now, friend, is God's children boldly, we can go into the presence of God. What's the way that we're able to, to have fellowship with God now? Isaiah 59, 2 says our sins separate us from God. 
How can we have fellowship with God? Through Jesus Christ. He's the way. How can we go to heaven and have the hope of heaven? It's through Jesus Christ. It's through a repentant, surrendered to His Lordship relationship that gives us the ability, friends, to have the assurance that one day we go to heaven when we die. Jesus says, I am the way. But not only that, He says, I'm the truth. He begins to share these things. Someone says, well, how can we be sure what He's saying is true? Listen, because everything Jesus says is true. He can't lie. Man can lie. Some people are really good at it. But God can't lie. That means that everything that Jesus says, everything that God's Word says to us, it's absolutely true. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 17. Full of grace, full of truth. That's Jesus Christ. He's, he's full of both of those things. He cannot lie. Numbers chapter 23, verse number 19. Moses again, trying to encourage such a hard-headed, rebellious people. God says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not, will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? God says, whatever I tell you, children of Israel, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, whatever I tell you as my disciples, I'm going to do it. It will come to pass. I'm the way, he says, and I am the truth. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number 9, if, Have I been with you so long that you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. It's impossible for Jesus Christ to lie because part of his essence is not just love, it's truth. He can't be anything but truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth. But he continues, he says, I'm the life. John chapter 11 and verse number 25. Remember that as he came to his friends, the funeral's over. There, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Mary and Martha, they're so upset and brokenhearted. And Jesus begins to say that powerful verse, verse number 25. Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Spiritual life, friend, is only found in one place. It's in Jesus Christ. John 10, 10, the thief comes. Doesn't say that he does it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He still comes against my life as a disciple, but he has to come through Jesus Christ to do it. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. There's a fixed path to heaven, friend, and it's through Jesus Christ. You can't go any other way. There's, 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 there's no other way. You, you can't do it through good works. It's not through church membership. It's not through baptism. It's not through giving. It's not through just intellectual belief. You people say, well, you know, I've, I've got God in my heart. Friend, the only way you get God in your heart is through repentance and faith in Him and in Jesus Christ and His finished work for you and trusting Him to be Lord of your life. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a fixed way to heaven, and it's only through Him. And look what the Bible says again in verse number 6. It's, this is very clear. You need to see this this morning. Look at Scripture. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus. It's not through a denomination. It's not through a priest. It's through nobody but Jesus 
Christ alone. Through Jesus Christ alone. How encouraging that is for us today. We have a forlorn prevention, a future place, and a fixed path. But listen to me. We're going to close. But only for those who have trusted Jesus Christ. I want to close with this story. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. Jesus met a young man. He was blessed in the world that he had a great deal of riches. And he stepped away from that life for just a moment. He left it, and he came to Jesus. He wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to have a relationship with God. He wanted to have full assurance that when he died, he was going to be able to receive the kingdom of God personally. Not just on earth, but eternally. And Jesus began to challenge him. Jesus knew his need. He began to challenge him at his point of need. And so Jesus said to him, you know, one thing you lack. You're a good person, moral, upstanding, you know, good neighbor. But one thing you lack. Go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Was it salvation by works? Absolutely not. Jesus was trying to say this. You've turned from the most important thing in your life and make me the most important thing in your life, and then you can experience the kingdom of heaven. And listen to what the Bible says. But when the young man heard that saying, verse 22, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Friend, I want to tell you three responses there'll be to this message this morning. Some, some are going to be sad. Because just like this man, you've got something in your life that you're not willing to let go of. You've got something. I don't know what it is. But whatever you won't let go of to receive Jesus Christ, that's what you're holding on to. And you, you believe what the Word of God says. And you want to be saved. You want to go to heaven. But, but, but you'll go away sad. Because you want Jesus. You want all that He has to offer. But you will not let go of whatever it is. Now, some, they're just the point, they're not sad anymore. They just get mad. They say, I can't stand that kind of preaching. I can't stand that kind of talk. I'm going down to First Baptist No Hope where they don't talk about these things. And everybody goes home happy, mad. Some this morning, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm one of those that's going to get in my truck this way. I'm going home glad. Because I can tell you the day that I repented. And I can tell you the day that I trusted Jesus. And friend, I know that no matter how challenging things come, there's a prevention that keeps me from just being overwhelmed. And it's to trust and believe in the Word of God. I know that I've got a Savior that right now, He's making a place just for me. And I don't know when it's going to be, whether I draw my last breath or I'm going up in the rapture, but He's coming again for me. One of these days. And it's through Christ, friend. It's through a fixed path. And I'm glad to tell people that I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved but Jesus Christ. And I'm glad this morning to be able to tell somebody about that. Sad, mad, or glad. What's going to be your response to Christ's invitation today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you died today, are you 100% certain that you would go to heaven? John chapter 5 and verse number 13. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Do you know for certain today 
that you have eternal life. The plan of salvation is written that you can. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you chose to turn from your sin and by faith you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? There hasn't been that moment. Why not do it today? God loves you. Christ died for you because the penalty for sin is death. And he died in your place. And just as Brother Butch sang this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is calling out to you right now to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Won't you receive him today? Won't you turn from everything in your life and trust Jesus to be Lord today? Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I turn from all the sin that's in my life. I repent of it. And I surrender my life to Christ's lordship today. Save me, Jesus. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? I want to encourage you during this time of invitation, just a little bit, after I pray, we're going to stand our feet. I'm going to ask you to make your way right down to the front so that I can encourage you in this decision you've made to trust God. There's some, there's some things you need to, to do now as you begin to follow Him and serve Him. And I want to encourage you in that. Did you come today with a heavy heart, challenged about things that are in front of you? Boy, I hope you'll leave today, friend, glad. Doesn't change the situation. But you know, friend, there's a Savior that loves you. He's never going to forsake you. He's preparing a place for you. And He's going to come get you one of these days. And all of us that have trusted Christ are going to go away together in heaven. Friend, don't go away mad. You'll go to hell mad one day. Turn away from all that hatred. Believe the Word of God. Surrender your life to it. And experience change that can only be found. He'll turn that old hateful, mean heart of yours into a brand new one if you'll simply surrender it to Him today. Father, I pray, whatever the need that's represented in this church today, Your precious Holy Spirit will speak to each individual need Call us into your will, and God, I pray that we'll respond with yes to whatever you call us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet.